Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. You know, so I'm not in a series right now, just kind of doing some one-off messages. And I, I had a topic in mind, and then I woke up um, yesterday morning, and it was just, as soon as I came to consciousness, it was like the Holy Spirit was just there waiting on me. And he goes, preach this. And I was like, I mean, I mean honestly, it was like, as, I mean, as soon as I woke up, it, boom, it just hit me, these two scriptures, boom, boom, and, and what to say about it. So, you know, I wanna, we're going to do that. And, and I think, I think it's, it's a, so that you will rest in the, your confidence in his goodness. You know, I, I probably will correct a couple of things in maybe some, of, some thinking in terms of the context of these couple of passages that I want to go into. But a big part of what our vision is with this church is to change the way people see God. And we're not just trying to paint a big marshmallow up in the sky that never, you know, never judges because he has. Uh, but, but we do, I do want people to actually trust God. You know, and it's the goodness of God, it's the kindness of God that draws people to repentance. Amen? That doesn't mean we don't discuss the other aspects of his being. I prefer that we discuss them in light of the death, burial, and resurrection you know, if we, want, if we want to talk about God's wrath and anger towards sin and his judgment and his justice, let's talk about it in the light of Christ hanging on that cross. Amen. Amen? Instead of trying to go back into the old covenant, drag a little bit of the old into the new and try to and skip over the fact that Jesus paid for your judgment, right? But that's not what I'm going to preach on today. That's always going to come up a little bit because I'm always wanting to talk about the gospel. But I, but I, see, I see today as a little bit of an equipping for you for the conversations that you, get, that you get into. And so remember this. Uh, maybe you can quote this passage. God, won't put, God will not put more on me. Now give me a scripture for that. Wrong. It's not in there. <laughs> that is the right reference. I know, I know, I know. He's, he's right in where the right reference is. But people will say, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 specifically. So, so here's what I want you to remember. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 and James 1, 13. And we're going to go through. It's a little bit technical. And then I'm going to bring it down into this idea of patience and, and the power of patience. Because what we're talking about today is ultimately this, how to come how to overcome temptation with patience. How many of you want to learn how to overcome temptation? Mm-hmm. See, now I know something about you now. Some people are like, I didn't raise my hand. No, but, but seriously, so twofold today, I want you to walk out of here with a mechanism of how to intentionally engage patience when you're being tempted, whether it be tempted to all-out sin or tempted to doubt or tempted to be angry 
or whatever the temptation is that you might be struggling with, the resolution, the opportunity to overcome it is going to be found in patience. Patience being a spiritual gift, a gift being a grace, grace being a divine influence in your heart that brings a capacity. So you're facing life, you're tempted to fall off into that sin again, you're tempted to whatever it might be, what you need in that moment is patience. But patience is a spiritual power that rises up within you. And so at the end of this, I want to kind of work out what does it look like? How do you actually yield to the spiritual grace of patience to grow up and be mature and overcome the temptation, even to the point where your desires change and it's not even a temptation for you anymore? How many of you, since you've been saved, you just don't desire some of the sinful things that you used to do? Everybody, please raise your hand. (laughs) Now, don't raise your hand on this one, but how many of you are still struggling with the same sin habits that you had before you got saved? All right, let's just keep going on that one here. All right, so here's the two passages. I'm going to give you them as a highlight, and then we're going to drill down to get technical then we're going to personalize it, and then we're going to worship and pray. Sound good? Um, Let's see. No temptation, and I'm going to be reading in the New King James and the King James because it's interesting how other translations get some of the words wrong. Uh, I'm not saying that we're King James only because it's like the perfect one. It's, you know, it wasn't even written in English to begin with, but that's a whole other point. Let's keep going here. All right, so... This is the passage that gets typically used to blame God for your difficult circumstances. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful. Say, God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, but but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now... That sounds like the temptation and the way of escape are both from him. Doesn't it it sound like that? First off, how you typically hear this stated is, God God won't put more on me than I can bear. Is that what it's saying? He won't allow more than I can handle to come upon me. To me, that's a promise of, I don't care how hard life gets, I don't care how bad you're about to mess up. I am always going to be ready to help you. That's what I hear. And I'll tell you that's why I hear. Okay, so no temptation has taken you. So who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able? Same exact word over in James 1.13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. All right? I'm I'm going to spell it out like you're five, for just a moment, because I just want you to see how clear it is, not necessarily for you, but so that you can help other people know that when they say, well, you know, God's just not going to put more on me than I can bear. Everybody do this. I want you to install a mechanism when somebody says something dumb about God. Now, you don't have to do that to them. But I want you to remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13, James 1, 13. Start at the 13, go backwards. Uh, 
Sounds like he's giving you the way out and the temptation, but James 1, 13 clearly says, let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. God is not tempting you. Now, some translations, the word test is used. Let me just kind of throw this out here. Uh, the temptation is something that comes from your own desire. Now, let me put this out. And, and I have a whole series called Is God in Control? where I go through test, trial, temptation, persecution, and suffering. And if you don't know how to get to that, shoot us an email, info at forward.church. We'll send you a link. You can listen to that series, God uh, Is God in Control? So let me just quickly go over. Um, Jesus promised that you are going to have trouble in this world. You're going to have pressure or tribulation. Trouble, pressure, tribulation. It never says that the tribulation is from him. Not one time. If you, if you go through and you look up all these words and you look at all the references and all the context of them mentioned, never one time is God bringing tribulation to you or allowing it to come upon you for some type of unknown purpose. Uh, and again, I go through that in that other series, and you can just go look it up on your, on your own. But you're going to have trouble in this world because he gave the world to mankind. We're going to have trouble. Those poor families in Texas right now, God didn't do that. God didn't inspire that shooter to go in there. It's probably demonic. Whatever's going on with that kid, I'm sure it was demonic to go in and do something like that. Um, that's what the planet looks like when you just give it to people and, and evil. We, we turn ourselves over to evil. So tribulation, you're going to have tribulation in the world. Um, persecution, you might experience persecution. Persecution, the only type of persecution that God endorses is for the word's sake. In other words, for you preaching the gospel, for you doing some type of missions, whether it be with your family online or traveling overseas, even to the loss of life. You might be called by God into an area to preach the gospel and you are killed for your faith. That might happen to you. God might call you into an area of life where you might experience persecution even unto the loss of life. Now, the persecution is not designed for you to become more holy or to become more righteous. It's just God's calling. He needs somebody to go there. I happen to think if he calls you into those areas, he's going to lead you and guide you and protect you. Even Paul, the apostle, who you know, had such a desire to go preach to the Jews had it on his heart to, uh, to preach to the Jews. What did I say? I may have gotten confused. Paul had it on his heart to preach to the Jews, but was called to the Gentiles and was warned over and over. If you go there, you're going to get tied up. If you go there, your hands are going to be bound. If you go there, you're going to be arrested. Don't go, Paul. And what does Paul say? None of these things move me. He went anyway. Did he disobey God? I don't know. There's a conversation to be had about that. But he, but he out of his desire to go preach... He went to people that God told him not to go to, and it ended pretty bad for him. Did Paul miss it? Well, I don't know. I know that's, that's like, that's not the sacred cow I was planning on slaying today. <laughs> but, uh, you know, people in the Bible, I mean, look at, look at David, right? King David. You look at Solomon. You look at Moses. You look at all these people that God used in spite of them, right? So the, even under the New Testament. Let me get back on track here. 
Persecution is not this tempting or this trial from God to bring about some type of unknown purpose. Persecution you might experience for preaching the gospel. Then you get into testing and trial and temptation. Very clearly, James 1.13 says, let no man say when he's tempted. Now, you might say, okay, yeah, he won't tempt me to do evil, but he will test me. And what we're going to see is an external test of you going through a difficulty is never once within orthodox interpretation of Scripture to say God is creating a difficulty for me to learn a lesson. Not one time is that said or taught expressly. But it is rampant in the Christian church, is it not? We, we are basically believe in witchcraft in the Christian church in a lot of ways. Witchcraft interprets signs, lays down tarot cards, throws down runes, tea leaves, reads the tea leaves, and tries to interpret this is the will of the universe that's coming at you. We do that with circumstances. Well, this happened, therefore that must mean that God is not wanting me to do this or he wants me to do this. And so I'm just sitting back and I'm waiting for an open door. And if, if no doors are opening for me, God must not want it for me. So I'm just going to sit here and I'm just going to wait. Poor old victim me, God, you're sitting up there making my life difficult. Or this, you know, I got a flat tire on the way to work. Gosh, what did I do wrong to make this for this happen to happen? happened to me. Do you, know, do, you, do you think that way? Do you know people that believe that way? Man, that must be exhausting. <laughs> Everything means something in that mindset. Well, you know, I woke up and I got this pain in my knee. Oh, God must be trying to teach me something. I need to slow down. Well, I tell you what, God really put me on my back. I needed to slow down. What? What? You just don't see any of that in the life of Jesus. Jesus is the clearest example that we have of who God is. So, you know, do you hear those cows kind of mooing in the background? We've slaughtered a couple of them today so far, but let's get technical. Y'all want to get technical for just a, just a minute here? I want you to see the context of what he's actually talking about. We're going to read some larger sections. We're going to read the Bible in church. Is that all right? I'm just full of them today. All right, here's, here's the... Here's, so, the passage that people misinterpret as God won't put more on you than you can handle actually says he won't allow you. To, he's, in other words, he's not going to leave you to be crushed by this thing. He will help you no matter what you're facing. In fact, no matter how stupid you get, how bad of a choice that you make, he's not even going to judge you or rebuke you or hold it against you in the process. He's going to help you. That's what James says. We, you watch. We'll get there. It's incredible. So here, here's the point of why I want to read this large selection right here in 1 Corinthians 10. Because people will say, God won't put more on me than I can bear. That's not what it says. The context before he ever even gets to verse 10 is a warning against sin. So the temptation that he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 10 is actually self-imposed. But it gets interpreted or misquoted as God's doing something to me to teach me a lesson. But he'll help me. He'll just make it just difficult enough until I really got Then he'll help me. I'm telling you, that is most people's view of God. And it's demonic. 
Let's, so here's the point. We're going to pull out the context before we even get to verse 10, and you'll see he's warning against falling into sin. And he's going to use the Israelites as an example and their rebellion in the desert as the example of, you see these guys over here? Look how bad. Maybe wouldn't you? Anyway, let me just keep going. What I was going to say is, how would you like to be an example of failure in the Bible for generations of people to read, right? All right. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you... Will you follow me along on this one, Philip, please, sir? Thank you. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that, that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. If you're unfamiliar, the, Egypt, the Israelites, God's chosen people, were enslaved in Egypt. God sent Moses in there to rescue them and pull them out. And when they, when they were delivered out of slavery in Egypt, God protected them in the desert for 40 years. He fed them every morning, twice on Saturday so that they had enough on Sunday, so that they, or probably Friday and Saturday, whenever the, you know, my scholars will get on me for the days. Whenever the Sabbath was, they didn't, you know, the day before there were two portions. Anyway, but during the day they were protected by a cloud, so they didn't get scorched. And then at night there was a pillar of fire with them to keep them warm. And there was food, and there was a rock that poured out enough water to, 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 for up to 3 million people to have enough water every day. Some say the rock even followed them around. I, I don't know about that, but I've heard that. All right, so all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All, the sa- uh, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things. Hold there for a minute. Say lust after evil things. That's important because that's where we're going in dealing with temptation and trials and not to say that they're from God, all right? Remember, we're getting to the one point, but he's setting up the example, the Israelites here. So they, their intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them. I mean, he's got a pretty significant list here. They were lusting after evil things. They were chasing after it. They were in idolatry. They were sexually immoral, as some of them did. And in, and in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed. Hold it there for a minute. Lest he fall. Pride comes before a fall. Are you seeing it? It's like here's the things that these guys were doing, falling into temptation, disobeying God. You take heed. Warning, warning, warning. Therefore, let, back once again, uh, 12. Therefore, 
Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Warning, warning. Now verse 13. No temptation has overtaken. Where did the temptation come from? Did it come from God? No. It's a warning to stay out of sexual immorality. Don't be worshiping other gods. Don't complain. That's what he's talking about. No temp- you're faced with temptation to do all this stuff. But don't worry, no temptation. You know, they went through it, you're going to go through it too. They were tempted, you're going to be tempted. You're not special in your temptation. Don't, you're, it's not unique that you are being tempted by the thing that you're being tempted by. All these Israelites did all this stuff. Of course, you're going to be tempted too. That's, that's what he's talking about here. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. Do you see the difference in the warning there and the promise? Warning, 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 but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted. Like, all, like, the, like those Israelites, they fell into idolatry, they worshiped other gods, they were sexually immoral, they complained about the food that God gave them, they were wild and crazy, but God is faithful, and He's not going to allow you to be tempted above that which you were able, but will also, with the temptation, make a way of escape. You're going to have the opportunity to be tempted, just like the Israelites, just like everybody that came before you, just like your friends and family, just like you see them fall into temptation. It's going to come, but God is faithful. How in the world did that get turned into? God won't put more on you than you can handle. Did God put all that stuff on the Israelites and make them worship other gods? Did he make them fall into sexual immorality? Is it like, what? Have you ever seen it that clearly before? You have? Okay, good. (laughs) Caught you. I get the nod. Sorry, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I don't think Carrie gets embarrassed. No, I don't. Again, I'm overstating it. And I'm not just wanting you to understand it. I do want you to understand it. But I want you equipped. I want you to know that you can represent God well so that you help people trust God that when they say something dumb to you like, well, you know, God just is not going to put more on me than I can handle. I just know it's coming. It's, you know, he's do- I don't know why he's doing this to me, but he's not going to let this crush me. He's going to swoop in at the last minute and help me. Oh, bless your heart. Can I just show you something here? You're quoting scripture. Can we go read that scripture? I mean, just go read it with them, right? So let's jump over to James 1.13. Did you get something out of that? We're going to look at James 1.13, and let's read. Uh, James, a servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ of the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Now, here we go. My brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into different temptations. Next verse. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let's go back to verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall into different temptations. Now, the Greek word... For here in temptation is the exact same Greek word that he used in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We just put it in proper context. The temptation was not from God. In fact, again, let me just show you. 
just, I'm just making it abundantly clear today. James 1.13, this whole temptation thing that he's saying, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations. Now, now, other translations will say, count it all joy when you fall into different trials. But the original language has the, the Greek word parazo. I can't, I can't remember the name of the word, or the actual Greek word in there. But uh, it's the same word that he later says, don't say it's from God. And it's the same word that he built this whole case for when you're tempted, like all your ancestors before you, don't worry, God's faithful, he's going to help you. When you're dumb and you're being tempted because of, and you think that's interesting. Wait until we see where temptation actually comes from. All right. So, verse 2, count it all joy, because you've heard this, right? You're going through a challenge, you're going through a difficulty, your life is difficult, you know? Well, you know what? I'm just supposed to rejoice. I'm just supposed to count everything. What, what this gets interpreted as is accept every circumstance that comes into your life because it might be a trial from God to teach you patience. Honestly, how many of you have ever believed that in your life? Just, you know what? Just, just look at every difficulty in your life because it might be a trial from God to teach you patience. That is horrible exegesis. In other words, that is a horrible treatment of what this passage is actually saying. Because that's not at all what he's saying. But that's how people think. Because people think God's in control. You know what? If God's in control, he's doing a bad job. Now, God is all-powerful. There's only one of him. And with the snap of his fingers or just a thought, we're gone. There's no one that parallels or equals his power. Never before, never will be. He is almighty God, has all sovereignty. Sovereignty meaning he has authority and power. What's in question is how is he exercising that power? And most people think he's exercising that authority and power by controlling everything. I disagree. Some people build a whole, you know, biblical uh, narrative on the mindset that he's controlling everything. I just don't see it. If he's controlling everything, that means he put it in that young kid's heart to go into that school and murder 20-something people. That means he put it into the worst serial killer's mind and heart to go and do what they did for the decades that they did it and d destroy those families that God authored the evil. I mean, let's go as dark as you can possibly go. I mean, think about it. If we want to make the point that God's in control and controlling everything, what's the most grotesque thing that you can think of that has ever happened on this planet? And God hatched that in his mind and put it in the heart of that person to carry that thing out. It's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. It's just not who God is. It's not who God is. Now, there's, you know, I'm opening up an entire conversation about going back into the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, working through everything, you know. There's, there's, there's to put all that in proper context because that, that's, a, that's a very popular indictment against God that he's a genocidal uh, uh, maniac wiping out generations and ethnicities. And you got to put all that stuff in context of what was happening back then, the covenant that those people were under, and, and each one take it case by case. But 
for our purposes, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations. So here's, here's why to count it joy. When you're being tempted, rejoice because it's an opportunity to grow up. That's basically what he's about to say. Say, grow up. Grow up. Say, I need to grow up. You kind of got quiet. I need to grow up. All right, let's just, so let, let's read all this in context. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip 9 through 11 because it, it says the same thing, but he kind of says it poetically. So we're just going to, um, let me see, where are we? Back to James 1, if you would just follow me along there. And we'll start in 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, stay here, wanting nothing. The word perfect is not talking about perfect performance. It's talking about wholeness or complete or mature. So patience will bring maturity, bringing, making you whole, right? Making you where you're not seeking to reach for something in this world to fill the empty void inside of you of whatever that temptation is tugging on. Whatever it is that we turn to into this world because to get a need met inwardly, that's what it's talking about. That that thing no longer has space in you, that you don't give into it anymore. Because patience has done such a work within you that you are whole. Now, there may be difficulties. You may still be heartbroken in some areas. There may be some, I'm not saying that, you know, you're just impervious to pain or sorrow or any of that kind of stuff. I just mean you're whole to a point where you are not seeking to fill that void inwardly with a destructive, sinful pattern outwardly. That's what temptation is. It's a desire to complete yourself with something in the world. That's why you must know your completeness in Christ, that you are complete in Him, lacking nothing. And His Spirit in you is the fulfillment First and foremost, spiritually, inwardly, of everything that you will ever need. You desire companionship. You desire the perfect spouse. You desire the perfect job, the perfect opportunity to express your calling. You first recognize that there is a spiritual fulfillment inwardly so that you are not in lack within yourself. In other words, I'm not going to marry this person because I can fix them. Well, I'm not going to marry this person. You complete me. Jerry Maguire was codependent, let me just tell you. <laughs> and we do it with drugs, other people, jobs. So the issue is, and, and God was showing me, let's keep going here. So, but let patience have her perfect work so that you grow up, be whole. You're not reaching out to, to meet a need inwardly. You're not looking to the world to tell you who you are. You know who you are in Christ. That's what patience will do. Let's keep going. If any of you lacks wisdom, in other words, you don't know how to operate in patience, let him ask of God. Uh, that giveth to all men liberally and upbraids not. That word, and I'm doing King James because the words are right in this particular section. Upbraids means to rebuke, scold, hold it against you, and listen to this one, find fault. So, you lack wisdom? Are you being dumb? Are you being stupid? I'll look at over here, my safe. I'm not going to offend you all. 
Can you believe how just stupid you were? I wasn't so stupid. I did it again. You lack wisdom? Let him ask God for help. He's not going to allow more than you can bear to come upon you with the temptation. He's going to make a way out, right? Saying the same thing here. Uh, and he's not going to find fault with you. In other words, he's, you're not going to go to God and pray and he's going to go, well, I told you so. Yeah, you deserved it. Well, you know, if you weren't so stupid, this wouldn't happen to you. I mean, he might talk to you that way, but in a loving, loving way. You know what I mean? You dummy. I got the Fred. It sound, uh, God sounds like Fred Sanford to me sometimes. You big dummy. But it's lovingly, you know. Uh, and, he, and he's not going to find fault with you. you. You need help. You go to God. You ask him for help. And he's not going to rebuke you. That's a promise all the way back to a prophecy of the new covenant back to Isaiah 54. And he said, I will no longer rebuke you. I'll no longer be angry with you. We just talked about that a couple of weeks ago. God's not mad at you when you're stupid. He's not mad at you when you make a mistake. He's not mad at you when you get tempted. He knows. He knows what it's like to be human. He was human. He faced everything that you faced. And he did it without sin. So he knows how to help you. But he also knows how difficult it can be. He's not going to judge you in the process. He wants to help you. Let's keep going. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave, is like a wave of the sea driven with the mend, the wind and tossed. I can read. Verse 7. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Now, stay on 7. Very, very important here. Does this say... Don't let a double-minded man think that God won't help him. Does it say that? Does it, is it a warning? If you're double-minded, warning, God's not going to help you. Is that what it says? Does it say, don't let that person think that God won't give them what they need? Does it say that? No. What does it say? It says, don't let that person think that they're going to receive anything from God. In the moment of your Temptation and your lack of intelligence and your lack of the capacity to grab a hold of his wisdom, it's not that God's going to get up. He just said, I'm not going to find fault with you if you ask for help. Didn't he say that? I'm not going to rebuke you. The point is, in that state of mind, you will not allow yourself to receive the help that you need from God. And I'm telling you, if you have a mindset that God's in control and controlling everything, you will read this as God's going to withhold help from you if you don't do right. But it's actually a warning that says because you are the master of your domain, you are in charge of your mind and your heart and this earth. If you're unstable, in other words, you come to God and you've got doubt in your mind, don't expect that you're going to be able to connect to what he's really going to give. In other words, you got to be confident in the help that he's going to give you. There's just a spiritual aspect of trusting what he says and acting on it and not questioning it and not doubting it, but acting on it no matter what, becoming persuaded. So let's keep going. He, even, he drives the point even more. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Uh, yeah, skip to 12. 
Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, now this is another nuance, trial is always associated with temptation in terms of what we're talking about here. So again, I go into deeper in that in this series. But So he shall receive the crown of life, which is promised to them that love him. Stay on 12. Who is the crown of life promised to? Those that love him. Is the crown of life promised to those who pass the test? Words matter. Words matter. Is the crown of life promised to those who endure the temptation, make God happy by staying patient, then he'll give you the crown of life? Who's it promised to? Those that love him. Paul has a way of writing where he'll make several points in one sentence, and that's what he's doing here. He's just further elaborating on who this God is that wants to help you. He's got a crown. I think he's just trying to make it real. You realize God really wants to help you here. He's got a crown of life for you. Those that love him, do you love him? There's a crown of life for you. It's not, you don't get the crown of life for passing the test. Because you hear it. You hear it. You hear it taught. And then verse 13. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Uh Uh-oh. Go back to verse 2, please. Count it all joy when you fall into different temptations. Back to verse 14. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Is God doing this? It just clearly says, don't, but don't say it's from God. Uh, next verse. Then when lust has conceived, I'm not going to ask you to imagine that because we're pretty good at that, conceiving lust unto sin, unfortunately. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Do not err. Don't get this part wrong, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Meaning, and that ain't going to change. There's, there's no variation within the idea that it's the good stuff that comes from God. Brothers, be be happy and rejoice when you're tempted. The temptation is because of your own lust, by the way. Don't say it's from God, but it's an opportunity to be patient. And if you lack patience, ask God, He'll help you. And the way that He'll help you is He'll give you wisdom. Wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. What God will do when you're facing temptation is show you, just like he said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape. And next one, how far did we go in that? Is that the last one I had in my notes? Okay. So, but he says, a double-minded man is unstable as always. And when you ask, don't doubt. The reason we give in to temptation when we're asking for help is because we still have doubt with inside of us. We're not really sure if God's methods, if God's ways are going to bring the fulfillment that this thing that we have the opportunity to do is really going to, because this is going to be really fun for a minute. 
or this is going to make me feel really good if I lash out, or whatever it might be, or this is going to save me some money. I know it's cheating, but, you know. And whatever it might be, whatever, whatever the area of it might be, the repetitive anger, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm trying to stay short of you listing your sin, your area of temptation. But the point is, don't blame God. And, and, and do you see how a couple of different passages misinterpreted cause people to be afraid of God, to be confused by how God may be acting? In other words, well, just accept all these trials, and it's just not even close to the point that he's making at all. So patience. For some reason, my thing lost connection here. So I got two slides toward the end there. Bring up the, yeah, your sense of identity will affect how you let patience work. And th this is the last point that I'm going to make, and then we're going to bring the worship team back up. In fact, you guys come on back up here, if you would, the worship team. So think about this. You're facing temptation. Whatever area of life that's self-imposed and you're struggling and you need help, how many of you can think of an area in your life where you need God to help you? Yeah. And I'm not just talking about a sin habit. I'm talking about just, you know, broader life areas also. Here's the point. When you're seeking to step into that sin habit or facing whatever that temptation might be, look inwardly and ask, you know, if you can just kind of stop for just a minute and kind of there's a little bit of a speed bump that you can put in the way for just a minute before you just barrel right into it. Give the Holy Spirit a little bit of an opportunity to work in your life. If you can create some type of margin or some kind of a barrier, what you need in that moment is patience. Say, I need patience. I can overcome temptation. I can overcome fear. I can overcome worry. I can overcome destructive patterns by remaining patient. Now, patience means standing without wavering. Standing without um, being double-minded, as James calls it. Now, think about whatever area. Now, let's just focus on worry. Your kids, your grandkids, your finances, your job, the future of the country, the future of the world, when Jesus is coming back, when the rapture is, who's going to be president, whatever it is that creates that sense of worry, we have that temptation to step into the worry. Pause for just a moment. Recognize God has a solution. God is not my problem. He is my solution. It's not, he's not a candy machine. He's not a Coke machine that I put in a passage or a dollar and he gives me what I need. But he's there to help me. God wants to help you. Amen? Say, God wants to help me. God will help me. Patience is being able to know that he will help you and stand in it. But there's another element to you also. Here's the question I want you to ask. I was giving you all a minute because everybody started watching them. Y'all look at me for just a minute because this will help you. Patience will come when you know who you are in Christ in the area that you're being tempted. Patience will come. Listen, are you listening? You need patience. Patience will come when you are established in who you are in Christ in the area of temptation. You're facing a temptation. Your job is go to the Word, find out who you are in that area and meditate on this is who I am in Christ. Christ paid for this. I am not this. 
I am not this behavior. I'm not going to go to a meeting and 30 years later stand up and raise my hand and say, my name's Clint, I'm an alcoholic. You hadn't drank in 30 years. If you're still an alcoholic, you need to do some inner work to change who you are in Christ. I'm not attacking that. I've been great work done in those examples. But the reason people fall back into repetitive cycles is they still identify with their failure. Whatever area you're seeking to overcome, know who you are in Christ and stand in that and patience will rise. And then you eat the fruit of patience and it will help you grow up. You will step into more and more maturity. So think about this for just a moment. That area that's difficult and challenging and you worry and you're afraid or even if it's a specific habit, I just want you to see yourself pausing just a moment. No, see yourself grown up in that area and you can choose patience. Now, this is probably an exercise that you'll have to do. Go home and think about this. You know, go home and meditate on it a little bit. And the next time you face the opportunity to step into it, whether it be a cycle, a pattern, or a worry, or whatever it might be, find out who you are in Christ and expect patience. And don't be double-minded and don't expect God Don't expect you to be able to experience it unless you are fully persuaded that God has what you need in that moment and he will help you and he's trying to give it to you in this moment. I have a a view of God that he's inside of me and he's trying to make every aspect of my life better. Like, Like God's in me and he's trying to give me knowledge and wisdom in every area of my life. Every decision I make, every situation that I face, God is in me and he's trying to speak to me and give me the proper understanding of it, trying to give me wisdom, trying to help me know what to do in that situation. God is in me, leading me and guiding me in every situation of how to behave, how to respond to somebody, how to to manage my resources, how to manage my body, my temple with what I eat, how to speak to somebody, where to go to minister, what to do the next pro You know, God is in me, I believe, in you, trying to show you the best way to live. And it's the areas where you're looking to the world to define you or you're still traumatized by something that happened to you and it still affects you. If something that happened out here is still evoking emotion within you more than the emotion that is associated with who you are in Christ in that area? Did you follow me on that? If something in this world that happened to you is still causing you to feel something inwardly and that feeling is stronger than what God has done in you that overcomes that, that lets you forgive or let it go, that's where you need, those are the areas you're gonna be tempted. It's the areas where you, it's the areas where you don't know who you are in Christ that you're tempted. Man, I really could just keep going and going and going. Are you with me? Has God spoken to you out of this? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, James 1, 13. Know it because you can help others, but also know it because God is not trying to find fault in you. He's trying to help you. But you must be confident that his word will work in you. Don't question it. Don't doubt it. I'm not saying have blind faith. I'm saying hang on until you see it working. His word is in you trying to work. We're the limiting factor. 
Let's just stand up, put our attention on him. Father, I trust you. Just tell him, I believe you. I trust you. Let's, just, let's say that together. Father, I believe you. I trust you. You are trying to help me. And I will yield to you and let you help me. I thank you that I have, you have patience for me. And I will let your patience bring me to wholeness and maturity. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you. Just lift him up. Jesus, we praise your name.